This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name's Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And last week we, uh, we missed last week. One, we're just going to be honest, we were super busy. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, but this week, we're going to continue on uh, with Esther. So, last episode, so not last week, week before, we talked about Esther chapter 1 and 2, um, which basically talks about how Esther became queen, correct? Yes. Okay. So this week, we're going to go ahead and jump into 3 and 4. And this is kind of where, I guess, I mean, this is where all, like, the conflict starts to come up. Because this is this is where we're going to see a lot of, of anger, a lot of, uh, I guess you could say racism. I was going to say drama, but yeah, drama, we can go with that too. Drama, you know. Um... But yeah, so uh, before we jump in, like we always say, you know, read it for yourself, study it for yourself. Um, don't take our word for it because we're simply reading it, thinking through a few things and then jumping on uh, to record. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. Chapter three and four. All right. So here's the thing to remember. The king's word is law, and when he wants something to happen, it generally does. Like, we don't think all that much about kingdoms and treason and all of this stuff unless you're, like, a fan of fantasy shows, because that's just not really a part of this day and age that we live in. But during this time, Xerxes was the ultimate ruler and Susa is his capital city so this truly is a story of his domain now in the beginning of chapter 3 we see that Xerxes has promoted a man named Haman to have basically the highest position above all of the other nobility like it's specifically mentions the fact that I don't know we would think of it today as like hey Haman got a really big promotion well he became the king's like right hand man so to speak and as a part of this promotion Haman had talked to the king and was like hey I would really love it hey man (laughs) I know hey man from Haman I would really love it if people would bow down and worship me. Again, because in this time period, a lot of the time, kings were treated like gods. They were given worship. And Haman wanted a slice of that action for himself. Yeah. And most of the people that were ordered to bow down and worship Haman complied. Except for Mordecai. And remember, 
Mordecai is Esther's uncle or cousin. It's cousin. Cousin. He adopted her, not adopted, but like when her parents died, he raised her. So we don't know the age gap between them, but he took her in. Because you have to remember at this point in time, uh, women did not have the agency to take care of themselves society like in society's eyes and so um if she doesn't have a uh family member who claims her she's basically like on the streets so when esther was being prepared to become queen mordecai was like hey this is very important don't let anyone know about your ancestry like don't let people know that you're Jewish. Because remember, King Xerxes, he's Persian. So he was going to have a different set of beliefs. And it was important for Esther for her safety that she keep her heritage secret. Now, when Mordecai refused to bow down and worship Haman, Haman Instead of just being like, okay, I want this to be an individualized, sort of like a vendetta between myself and Mordecai, took it very much to the extreme. 100% to the extreme. He immediately jumped into, I don't like this guy. This guy happens to be Jewish. Therefore, I don't like Jewish people off with their heads. He went, like, he went that far. So, again, Haman is newly promoted. He is in favor with the king. He talks to Xerxes and is basically like, well, just so you are aware, there are people who live in your provinces who aren't going to bow down and follow these directions that you've issued. And because of this disobedience, they did something called casting lots or purr. Do you want to explain what that is? Because that was one of the things that I was going to ask you um, because I wasn't sure. So Esther's holiday will be known as Purim because I don't really want to blow the ending of the story, so we'll get to that later. But <laughs> the casting of lots was, okay, if we want to do this thing that is important, it's almost like a lottery or a bingo where it's like, hey, let's just make this a more randomized selection. Mm-hmm. And so they cast lots to be able to see when the destruction of the Jews in Persia would occur. Yeah. Almost like casting bets. Well, I don't really think of it as more of a bet, though. Yeah, okay. Because when I think of betting, it's like, oh, hey, put your money where your mouth is. Although that is an interesting point to bring up because one of the points that I neglected to mention was the fact that Haman wanted revenge on Mordecai so badly 
he was willing to pay the king into the royal treasury like hey I'm gonna give you some of my own money to allow me to do this yeah which is kind of crazy because um, like you said he he's this uh, upset about this encounter he's like you said putting his money where his mouth is so she's collecting her thoughts I am okay because King Xerxes has a lot of provinces I think it's 127 he's got a lot of people that are under his command and he likes to send out edicts which are basically like hey from the desk of King Xerxes like when you get this it's pretty much like I'm there in person giving you a command this is not a request like mm-hmm. it will be followed hashtag not optional so he assembles the royal scribes so I guess for us it would be the equivalent of somebody holding a news conference and just being like hey write this down get it to your cities get it in your language make sure everyone is able to have access to this information makes sense yes it does and the last time this happened was like hey I'm in the market for a new queen so like this was <laughs> this was pretty good news yeah but with this royal edict it's letting them know mm, by the way the Jews are going to be destroyed and obviously for the Jewish population in these provinces that is going to be a very disturbing time hashtag bad thing and it's said that Mordecai goes out and he is in sackcloth and ashes. So this was a public display of his anguish. You're going to see this a lot in the Bible, um, where there's people who are so brokenhearted over a situation, they take off their regular clothes, because you have to realize they didn't have clothes the way we have clothes. Um, They may only have one outer garment that they constantly wore, And they might have a few different options. And I mean a few, two or three of actual clothing. So they don't want to destroy that. So the whole sackcloth and ashes, it's their way of showing mourning over death of a family member, a situation, those type of things. And so people are weeping. They are wailing. They are physically, visibly upset. Because this is a grieving time. Their lives are on the line. And Mordecai goes and he is outside the king's gate. And he is clearly visibly upset. And so Esther sends one of her eunuchs, so one of the male staff, to investigate why he's so upset. Mm-hmm. And this is how she finds out that not only Mordecai's life, but the lives of the Jewish people are in danger. Yeah, and at this time, 
again, her and Mordecai are still in communication with one another. And Mordecai basically is like, he basically uh, encourages her to speak to the king. Um, but you have to understand that in order for her to do this, one, the king had it set up. And I don't know if all kings were this way. But this one specifically had it set up where you were not allowed in his presence unless he, like, requested to see you. Even for his his queen. Like, she can't just storm in and demand whatever she wanted. She could still be killed for that fact alone. Um, on the other side of that, the king doesn't know she's a Jew. So, um... If he finds that out, he could kill her for that. With the idea that... So again, it's it's not a good situation for her, no matter how you slice it. So, Mordecai and Esther have this, via her staff member, conversation of... Okay, technically you don't have to do anything Esther but if you don't like God will help to save us and the help will come from somewhere else but that would also mean that you and your family will probably perish but if you do help us you could still end up dying either way so not probably the best conversation to have with someone. This is the worst motivational speech yeah. ever. Let's just say that. So, Esther tells Mordecai, I know that if I go before the king without being summoned, that I could die. And her quote is, If I perish, I perish. And one of the like main highlights of the story is Mordecai telling Esther that perhaps she was created for such a time as this like her life's purpose is to save her people due to the position of power that she now holds being queen mm -hmm. so, so this is what I find interesting right because Mordecai is kind of giving her this crossroads, right? He's like, okay, you have this option. You don't have to say anything. That's completely fine. I don't think he's going to hold it against her. Um, but he goes, if, if that's the path that you choose, there's a good chance that you, you're going to be found out. Your family's going to die. You're going to die. And a whole people group are going to be uh, annihilated. That's path number one. Path number two, we understand that you've been put in this position by God. You speak up. It possibly uh, saves, uh, uh, again, the, the people group. You still might face consequences. Um, but there's a chance that you'll save a people group. Now, it could be seen, like, I almost see this as it could be seen as he's trying to manipulate her. 
I don't see it that way only because throughout the whole story, he seems to be a loving family member. He doesn't seem to be manipulative. I think he's just spelling it out as it is, saying, hey, this is a tough choice to make, uh, but the choice is yours. What do you think on that? So, the king, like, his one law is, if you come before the presence of the king without being summoned, the king has the right to order you put to death. However, if the king decides to spare your life, the golden scepter will be extended. Yeah. And, again, I, we had talked about, like, we don't really know, like, between you and I, the age gap between Mordecai and Esther. But I have always assumed that Esther was maybe, like, late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Mordecai is probably in his 40s. Okay. So like mid thirties, early forties. Mid thirties, early forties. Like you said, I feel like again he takes his role as her caregiver and like surrogate parents very seriously. Mm. So it's not that he's doing this to spite her. He's doing this because like, hey, I love you. I've taken care of you. I've watched you grow up. I just want you to know like the severity of the situation and the consequences of possible actions that you might be considering. Yeah. Well, and the only reason I bring up the the manipulation angle, because I have a feeling that someone's going to read this with, with that in mind mm-hmm. or come to that conclusion. And so I wanted to at least acknowledge that it could be seen that way of, of, um, of him manipulating her to do what he wants to do, but well, he doesn't have the authority to do. And Esther doesn't act right away. The chapter closes with the fact that she is instructing her attendants and also tells Mordecai to have the Jewish people go into a three-day period of fasting and prayer. Yeah. And we can only assume she's doing something similar where she's thinking through these choices and coming to her own conclusion. So again, this shows she doesn't just think wildly. She doesn't just... Uh, react she's thinking she's considering her options she's probably very intelligent so that really shows a dichotomy between her and Haman because when Haman felt offended by Mordecai's lack of it was an instant it was it was like I want to do this right here right now right away yeah I was gonna I was gonna make a, a comment but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that to myself um, so, is there anything we didn't cover? I feel, I like, feel we, like we definitely have opened up chapters three and four. So, for next time, we'll go into Esther five and six. Yeah, we're going to five and six. I've got to double check. There's, what, nine chapters? Ten. Ten. Oh, it's an even number. Cute. Mm-hmm. Um... So yeah, that's three and four. Um, any last thoughts? One thing that Esther has mentioned is that the king has not summoned her in the last 30 days. So I wonder if she had a doubt in her mind as to 
the favor that she had with the king. Because remember, like, she has attendants, and he, he has, I would assume and think, other women at his disposal. Yeah. Yeah, he's not a one-woman man. Um, she's queen, but he's probably got some concubines, um, all over the place. So, yeah, so she's really at this point of like, hey. Well, because that could definitely be like, this man has not wanted to see me in a month. How can I go to him and ask him for such a big favor? If we don't have that rapport right now. Yeah. And again, that three days of prayer and fasting, she's probably considering all of these options of like, what if I go to him and he doesn't want to see me, has me killed. What if I go to him, he hears me out, doesn't like what I say, has me killed and kills the people and kills my family. Right. So she's got a lot waiting on her mind. Um, yeah, it's a tough situation to be in. So I think we said this last time, but I feel like this definitely is a PG-13 drama. Oh, yeah. Uh, this would be uh, this would be difficult to explain to little kids. So, I'm not saying don't teach this to your kids, but uh, well, they have I'm curious how of, you do it. They have versions of the story of Esther that focus more on the fact that, like, Esther was brave, and she saved her people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you do teach this to your kids, let me know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious how people teach these difficult com uh, conversations to their kids uh, and keep it at the core of what's really happening. I'm really curious about that. But anyway, um, any further comments? I think we're... we're Kind of at the end of that. So we're going to cut to a commercial break. Yeah. So um, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about uh, another female in the wrestling industry. Um, we're going to talk about Miss Elizabeth. If you know who Miss Elizabeth is, um, you are definitely around for the Monday Night Wars uh, in wrestling. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so, yeah. We'll be right back with the Wrestling with Faith portion of the podcast. But we'll be right back. Inspired by hip-hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kiesick is beautifulfeetentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry. And it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. And the links are also available in our social media and podcast. So please consider The Sanctuary of My Solitude if you're looking for a next great read. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Wrestling with Faith podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And... As a partnership with the Beautiful Feet podcast, where we're talking about the book of Esther, um, we're kind of going through, um, I guess you could say, biographies on some of the female talent in wrestling. 
Um, so last week we talked about, well not last week, but last episode we talked about Stephen McMahon. Uh, but honestly, it would be it would be a loss if like we didn't talk about Miss Elizabeth. Um, do you know anything about Miss Elizabeth? I can honestly say I have absolutely no idea who Miss Elizabeth is. <laughs> okay. And that makes sense. So, um, do you know who, have you at least heard of uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage? I want to say yes, question mark, hesitation in my <laughs> voice. So, you've at least heard the name of Macho Man. You probably don't know much of his work. Um, so, he worked predominantly in the 80s and 90s. And I'm going to do my best to pull uh, Macho Man away from Miss Elizabeth. But their career literally goes hand in hand because they were married in real life through most of their career. Okay? So, um, but we're going to really focus on Miss Elizabeth and, and who she is. Uh, Miss Elizabeth is actually, and yes, that was her name, Miss Elizabeth. Um... Macho Man said it as Elizabeth, but you know whatever. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about just her impact in wrestling. So she was basically like a manager position in in wrestling or in uh, Macho Man's career. Basically, meaning she was side by side with Macho Man the whole time. Um, and she would walk to the ring with him, and, and basically, um, the only thing that really made her different was that managers at the time would usually like make the match, right? So they would they would be the ones. Think about it like um, uh, Paul Heyman, right? He's kind of the mouthpiece for those that he's managing. Same thing with, like, Jimmy Hart and, like, all these other guys. Miss Elizabeth didn't really speak for anyone. Macho Man did all the speaking himself. So she was just a pretty lady to walk down the thoroughfare with? She was. Um, and, uh, again, and, again, we have to put into context, uh, she, not only was she, yes, the eye candy for, for, the, for the match, but... She was often used as, like, the damsel in distress. Uh, but again, this is at a time when wrestling was very... This was at a time when wrestling was very simplistic. It was very simple to say that um, the storylines were not super hard to follow. Um, but even with her being you know, a very simple role. She really got to that point of the fans loved her. So yeah, what made her so different was the fact that she was so loved uh, by the fans. Um, but anyway, so yeah, she was basically there to help uh, Macho Man. Um, now, in some of the most famous storylines that they have her in, um, one of the most famous ones that I could think of was 
kind of the breakup for the Mega Powers. The Mega Powers was a team with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. And so they were tag teaming at the time. And at one point in time, obviously, like every tag team, they ended up breaking up. Uh, predominantly because storyline-wise, Macho Man felt like, uh, basically felt like Hulk Hogan was giving a little too much attention to Miss Elizabeth. So again, it's the idea of jealousy poking up uh, because allegedly there was a tension between Hulk and Elizabeth. Um, now, as you watch a lot of those feuds, a lot of it you could see is you know, Miss Elizabeth might get in, you know, into a period of danger in the match and Hulk goes to protect her when, uh, when Macho Man can't cause he's busy in the match. And it was small stuff like that, but it was Macho Man actually thinking, oh, you're trying to take her from me. Um, well, and I feel like that ploy of, oh, my best friend and my girlfriend is fairly common throughout literature, movies, yeah. television, so... It's definitely within the realm of possibility that you would have a tag team who is very close and, and then a couple that's also very close and maybe yeah. their life stories would intertwine, perhaps. Absolutely. And the thing is, in WWE, uh, which at the time is still WWF, um, this is one of the first times that they'd ever seen this, right? So when we see that now, you know, in 2022, we know, okay... This has been done before. They just keep bringing it back. At this point in time, no one's ever seen this before. Um, and another thing about Miss Elizabeth was the fact that you had Macho Man, who's very verbose, very uh, outspoken, very big, very powerful. She was smaller and she was very soft-spoken, mm -hmm. right? Which, again, even the women in wrestling at the time were not very soft-spoken because they felt like they had to compete with the guys. She was very soft-spoken. And when even when she did speak, it was... And I don't even think this was fully storyline. I think she was just more of a reserved person. Um, so throughout this series, or pretty much any time we're going to work with the Wrestling With Faith podcast, I'm always going to want to ask this question because I feel like I'm just curious. As with Stephanie McMahon, how she had, she's like the princess of wrestling. Did Miss Elizabeth come from a wrestling family as well? No. Um, I, I think she just studied. So uh, after college, I, I think she just started attending shows and somehow, because again, you have to realize in the early days of wrestling, like by attending shows, and being noticed in a crowd, you might end up, you know, it was much more common that that would, that would happen, right? So, no, she was not from a wrestling family. Um, but she seemed to love the wrestling atmosphere. So, I don't exactly know how she got into wrestling. Um, because the couple sources that, I, that I'm using for this video or for this podcast, okay. yeah, I used a lot of YouTube videos. They mention it, but it was like, yeah, she was just at a show and, and she got in because of Macho Man, because they had gotten to know each other and um, by how they met, I know they met at a show. I just don't, I don't know much more than that. 
Any other thoughts, comments, questions before I move on? No. Go ahead. Okay. So we went ahead and so that was like the big crux of the of the her career was alongside Macho Man. because uh, again, in real life they were married. Uh, now they did have feuds where they broke up in the ring and things like that. Um, and they would eventually get back together, which the audience loved, the audience adored that, because what what WWE did at the time, and the storylines did at the time, they made you really dislike Macho Man, but love Miss Elizabeth, right? So even though they were together and you saw them as a package deal, you really were like, he's a little, he's a little too protective of her, we sympathize with her. Um, and all that seemed like storyline. Uh, but there's an episode of um, The Dark Side of the Ring, which is basically this series where they talk about re- wrestling from a real-life perspective. And you come to find out that Macho Man was that controlling, Right? Whereas when he was in when he was in the ring and she was not ringside with him, she was not allowed to leave her dressing room for fear that people might talk to her, for fear that um, you know some other guys might because he was Macho Man really was that jealous, um, and it, you know it obviously kind of broke up their marriage and broke up their relationship. I was just going to say, that probably would not add longevity to their relationship. No. Um, so, but yeah, that really started to weigh in. They even did an interview with uh, Hulk Hogan's wife at the time. Um, and she, you know, she would say, yeah, she would sit down with Elizabeth and they would talk about how she felt with, you know, Randy Savage and and how she wasn't happy. Um, because, again, just like with wrestling, how the guys are usually all really good friends, the wives kind of become really good friends because they're around each other a lot. Um, but, yeah, so they officially broke up um, in, I want to say, toward the end of the 90s. I don't know the exact date. Again, solely because that's not something I want to focus on. Um, But she did work not only in WWE, she did work in uh, WCW during the Monday Night Wars, which again, Monday Night Wars is when uh, WCW and WWE were fighting for that Monday Night slot and that they had. Um, so she did come back for that. She worked in WCW up until WCW closed in 2001. So you had that. Um, unfortunately, sorry, go ahead. So basically, like, if she were to be a part of WWE today, she would be more of a Monday Night Raw type of a gal. Probably, yes. So, um, unfortunately... At the time, she was dating another wrestler by the name of Lex Luger. Um, excuse me, Lex Luthor. 
Luger. Yeah, Luger. Sorry. Like Luther is Superman. You're just I'm gonna say I'm conf and and that was intentional, but um and her life at that time seemed like it was very traumatic. And I don't know if this happened throughout her career, um, but especially from 2001 to 2003, there was a lot of uh, reports of addiction, a lot of reports of abuse of substances, um, and, and eventually that's what you know, took her life in 2003. Even though there have been autopsies done and reports have been, you know, written where, yes, she was, you know, she was under the influence of, of prescription drugs and alcohol. Um, but there was some strange bruising on her face, on her body, um, that may say that she was attacked. Mm-hmm. Even though Lex has, because he was there, he was the one who called in uh, when, you know, when she had died. So there are some mysterious circumstances Mis- surrounding her death. Absolutely. And he time and time again has talked about how he was never uh, physical with her. He wasn't physical with her at that moment. Uh, but his story, based on another video I found, his story keeps changing. Where every time he's talked about it, oh, she got hurt doing this, you know before she had died oh she got hurt doing something else like his story keeps changing to kind of take the light off of he wasn't in the best place of his life either um so yeah but and 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 that really is a shame right it really is a shame to know that someone who's touched wrestling and been such a big part of it in the 80s and 90s this is how you know that their story ends, uh, but the truth be told, um, that's that's again that's not the focus. The focus is her time in WWE and the fact that in the time that she was there, she didn't even need to have many matches. She was just one of those people that the fans loved. Uh, you know, another video that I put it, you know, that will be down in the description. Uh, mentions that not a single person even backstage had bad things to say about her. She was a great person. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, she was loved by, seems like, everybody. Um, last thing that I want to mention is the fact that it's kind of a tragedy simply because she's yet to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Hi, Bowie. Well, I'm not sure what criteria they use for the inductees either. Um, they say, okay, so here's the thing. They say that there's criteria. I honestly think it's just whoever Vince McMahon wants in the, the Hall of Fame. Um, because it's the WWE Hall of Fame. So, and I don't know what the criteria is, but I honestly believe she should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um... And it's going to be an exciting day when she is inducted. It would be nice if the fans and the people who loved her so much during her career and while she were alive were able to vote to have her be inducted. Yeah, I mean, 
again, I know that it's said that there is a criteria. I'm just not sure what that is. Um, but yeah, I think she definitely deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Um, and like I said, I think it's going to be a, a big crowd pleaser if and when she gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, so that is Miss Elizabeth. And, you know, it's it's sad to see her go the way she did, but to look back on her career it was it was it's pretty awesome. I definitely like going back and watching some of that some of the older wrestling, especially from the eighties and early nineties, because there was something innocent and something fun about the whole thing. Um, but we're gonna go ahead and end the episode there. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pray, but before we do, uh, we're gonna next episode we'll be going over uh, was it five and six? Yep, five and six on Esther. And I'm not sure who the uh, talent is going to be next week, but I'm going to let that be a surprise. So let's go ahead, let's pray, and then we'll end the episode there. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this week. We ask that you would bless this time. We ask that you would be with us and, and strengthen us. Be with our listeners as well. Help us to really just lean in on your word and your understanding and walk in your truth, regardless of the struggles that we deal with and, and the challenges that we deal with today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Feel free to like, subscribe, comment, get this episode out to whoever you can. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Uh, follow us on BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wrestling With Faith. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys uh, on ideas, what you guys think. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Beautiful Feet and Wrestling With Faith. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.